Hi, everyone, and welcome to the PBN Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about our sponsor, Newsest. We're going to try things a little bit differently this week, and we've got a special guest in the podcast studio, founder and co-director of Plum-Based News, Mr. Klaus Mitchell. How's it going, Klaus? Really good, Robbie. Great to be here. So what a lot of people don't realize is that many of the products and services that we promote on Plum-Based News are things that we actually use ourselves. This week's podcast is kindly supported by our friends over at Newsest, and I know that you've been using it for a while. I've been using it, but what do you think of it, Klaus? I think it's great. I think I started using it when I saw it in Whole Foods. I bought a tub and then I put it in with, uh, it was a strawberry flavor I put in with my berry smoothie. Um, and that was over six months ago. And uh, now I've got to know the team at Newsest, Jonathan and the crew. Great mission, great company, tastes great, and I'd highly recommend it. So this product is made from golden peas grown in the south of France, an incredibly environmentally friendly crop. It is also sold in 100% recycled plastic tubs as well, so you can recycle the whole thing. Please check out newsest.us forward slash PBN20 to get 20% off your first order. The process of, of dealing with that and kind of coming to terms with it was very traumatic. And yeah, that there were times where I was just like, what's the point in living? Because I want to make music for a living and now right. I can't do that. Today, we're sitting down with singer-songwriter Zach Abel, who often speaks up about his journey with veganism. Zach is a Londoner of Moroccan English descent, and he has worked with some of the biggest names in the dance music industry, including Wookie, Gordon City, Kate Randia, Don Diablo, and Kiago. His style infuses soul, funk, and pop influences into an infinitely cool and distinct sound. Zach previously shares that becoming vegan was one of the best decisions he'd ever made, as it allowed him to live his best life knowing that he's not harming animals in the process. In his latest single, Less of a Man, he tackles the topic of toxic masculinity head-on. It's a vibrant and catchy tune with witty lyrics that make the track into a bold musical statement. We invited Zach onto the podcast to talk more about his vegan journey, his music career, and his recent work. I'm Robbie Lockie, and this is the PBN Podcast. As always, don't forget to comment, like, and share. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Thanks so much for joining us on the PBN Podcast, Zach. What a pleasure to finally <laughs> sit down with you, my friend. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we get started and talk about all the incredible things you've been doing with your life in recent years, tell us your vegan story. How did it, where did you discover the lifestyle? Because that's really what brought us together. Yeah. So I've been vegan for about four and a half years, something like that. I became vegan when a friend of mine, Timmy, went vegan and he was bombarding me and my friendship group with, you know, arguments for veganism. And at first, you know, I was, I was like, nah, this guy's so annoying, like, I don't like any of these arguments. And I was definitely, like, speaking the argument against veganism. And it just got to the point when I, I, where I ran out of good arguments. It was specifically, like, the ethical argument uh, for veganism, i.e. the suffering of animals. I just couldn't think of any more justifications for that. And at that point, I was like, right, well, I better act on uh, the way I actually think about this. And that was it. I just, uh, yeah, just slowly started to introduce vegan products into into my life so whether that was replacing milk for oat milk in, in the morning yeah just slowly but surely kind of 
making that transition. How did he convince you? Did he show you a documentary? Did he? Um... Yeah, yeah. So, so I watched Cowspiracy. Let's look at the fundamental problem here. No one wants to talk about it because they're they're membership organizations. You know, a lot of them. They're looking to maximize the number of people making contributions. The leading cause of environmental degradation is um... we. Uh, need to address that as well. It's not up to the Department of Water Resources. Hard to actually target like one thing. And that was really effective in kind of just getting me to think about it from many, many different angles, whether it was the environmental angle, the, the ethical angle or the health angle. To me, the, the most motivating one was the, the, ethical, uh, the ethical angle. It's still the thing that, you know, when inevitably during the, the process of becoming vegan, you will mess up but it's the thing that's kept me kind of going back to it and, and trying my best and you talked about the, the ethical side how was your relationship growing up with animals and the sort of the animal kingdom were you aware of them out there as individuals or were you like most people you know consuming animals but not really thinking about it were you sort of awakened to that at all as a child i think i like i, I remember walking past a farm like where there were these cows just kind of grazing and, and I, I remember always wanting to like interact with the cows and like feed them leaves and stuff and like always I felt a lot of empathy and I wanted to connect with them I think I, I didn't um, associate you know the actual being with with the meat for, for a long time so I, I ate steak mm. so much growing up <laughs> as do most men yeah uh, <laughs> that's what men do apparently <laughs> it's what we do um, <laughs> it was quite shocking for my mum who you know would have cooked, I don't know, meat for me three or four times a week. Min like, I always had meat and, and I ate pretty much everything. And I didn't go from being a meat eater to then vegetarian and then vegan. I just went, pardon the pun, cold turkey. Cold tofu. Cold tofu. <laughs> as, Jesse, as Jesse J said on, on the, on the nice. last interview, which made me chuckle. Cold tofu. Yeah. Co cold tofu. It's such like a strange it. thing, isn't it? That we, you know, we're born in this world where we have things placed on our plate every day as a, ch as a child or as a young adult. Mm. And we don't think about it. We don't question it. Um, we trust our family yeah. to be nourishing us with the best possible foods. But there are some children who reject it from a very young age. Right, right, right. They somehow intrinsically know, I'm not sure how, but they know that, that what they're eating are their animal friends and they don't want to do it and they reject right, it. Right, right. And they become vegetarian at like age three or four, which I find remarkable. Do you, but, think, do you think there's a correlation between our sort of relationship with animals and our sort of attitude towards food? Because I feel like, you know, carnism, have you heard of carnism? No, what's that? Carnism was this term coined by Dr. Melanie Joy, who's a, an American psychologist. And she talked about carnism being a dominant ideology that exists on Earth today. And veganism is the counterculture to carnism. When it comes to eating animals, our perception is shaped largely, if not entirely, by our culture. In meat-eating cultures around the world, out of over 7 million animal species, people tend to classify only a handful as edible. All the rest are inedible and disgusting. So the question is, why are we not disgusted by the select species we have learned to think of as edible? And why don't we ever ask why? Have you ever wondered why you might eat certain animals but not others? Have you ever wondered why you haven't wondered? Carnism is a belief system, like veganism is a belief system. Mm -hmm. But carnism is invisible because we don't know it's there, we don't see it. 
we take for granted that when the food is put in front of us, that we're taught that it's normal, needed, and necessary to consume it. If we don't eat it, we'll die. Right, right, that's right. what we're taught, right? Uh-huh. But we know that's a lie. Seven years vegan here, four years you, right? And yeah, yeah. we're still standing. Yeah. So this belief system that opposes veganism called carnism pervades our lives. It's, ubiqu- uh, it's ubiquitous. Everywhere you see, there's TV ads, there's billboards. Mm-hmm. It's almost sort of forced down our throats. Our culture is sort of primarily carnistic. But the mechanism behind that is is that it, it sort of, it de, not dehumanizes, but it de-individualizes animals. And when you eat, yep. see the steak on the plate, mm. you don't see it as an animal. No. You see it as a piece of meat, an object. Mm-hmm. In your mind, you know, how did you move from that young man who ate so much steak to suddenly seeing animals? Was there a shift? Do you remember a shift or... Yeah, I, I think for me, the process was a, a, a logical one. Right. Um, like a, it was a... It was purely like, obviously it was informed by empathy and emotion, but at the same time it was, a, it was a rational thing where I was like, okay, I can see this is wrong and I can't justify doing it anymore. Mm. And if I do continue to, to eat meat, then I'm doing myself a disservice. Mm. I'm not respecting my own logic. It was, it was also kind of like a, a self-esteem thing where I was like, okay, if, if I don't actually act on this, how can I, so it's not self-esteem, self-respect thing. Mm. How, how can I respect my own mind mm. if I've, been given this information i've made a decision and i don't actually go with it yeah it was a an intelligent choice thank you very much thank you (laughs) it really is once you're presented with the information i know no human being wants to knowingly cause suffering right unless you're a psychopath which of course is like 0.1 percent of the population or something like that don't quote me on that don't don't come for me on twitter i'm gonna have to quote you on that which i'm gonna which which i've had this week i've had a few people coming for me for some of my quotes so i need to be careful what i say (laughs) but at the same time you know human beings are i believe human beings are innately compassionate the seed of compassion lives within within all of us but if it's not watered it doesn't flourish and we'll get into men and our challenges with compassion and empathy in mm-hmm. a bit. But mm-hmm. that compassion was in you. And it yeah. was watered by the nourishing support and wisdom of your friend. And it awakened within you. And logic and reason and emotion came together, which gave birth to this realization that animals do not deserve to be killed the way they are killed and suffer the way they That's suffer right. mm-hmm. because of your choices. And here we are as a, as a vegan man, living your life, living your best life. <laughs> <laughs> Live my best life. That's right. So it's a beautiful thing. And I'm constantly inspired by, you know, young men like you who are challenging the status quo out mm. there in the world. Because obviously this whole idea of manliness is deeply entwined with eating meat. And that there's a sort of like masculine quality that people feel, young men feel that if they don't eat meat, then they're not masculine and they're not mm. a man. But again, we'll go back into this. I want to go. Yeah, I want to stay. That. I want to stay in the past, and let's let's talk a bit about your your history. You were you are half Moroccan, half mm. English. What was it like growing up in the UK, being a little bit different? Did you were you treated any differently? Did you have cultural differences that made it a little bit harder for you? I mean, if I'm honest, not really. I'm, so I'm I'm Jewish. Both my both my parents mm. come from Jewish backgrounds, mm. and I would say that. If anything, that was the thing which kind of differentiated me in Mm. in one of the schools I went to. Mm -hmm. I was one of three Jewish people Mm. at the school. And so, yeah, I did get treated a little bit differently. There'd be a few comments here and there. But if if I'm honest, I've been quite lucky in that I haven't I haven't been discriminated against based on my family's ethnicity. Mm. You got out you got out unscathed. I did, yeah. 
Yeah. It is form the formative years of our lives at school where mm. our identity begins to take shape, doesn't it? And we start to figure out who we are, whether it's our gender, our identity, our sexuality, you know, our ethnicity. Mm-hmm. You know, kids always find a way to find something about you that yeah. they can just pull apart yeah. and like tear you to shreds in some way. Yeah. But I also think that that's, I think that's kids, although it's horrible yeah. in the moment, mm. that is kids' ways of like figuring out what's what and mm what's acceptable and what's pushing boundaries yeah you know because i think all of us as human beings we're trying to figure out our place in the world and we're trying to understand what is a good way to be or an acceptable way to be and in order to find out that information we have to test the boundaries Mm. and we have to prod a little bit and be like oh if i act like this how will you react Mm. and will you like me if if i act in this way And, and also if i'm mean to you Will that get me to a higher place in the social hi- hierarchy? Like school is, is where you find out those 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 things, and you mm. and you figure out the, the social dynamics mm. that are at play. What were you like at school? Were you the tough kid, or were you oh, the man. geek, or were you the? I, I, I was so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who remembers me, mm. I was like smarty pants. I was, I was I was I was a know-it-all, and I was really annoying. <laughs> I was really cocky as well. You knew everything. I was like. Like slightly above average in mm-hmm. terms of like academia. Mm-hmm. So there were people way smarter than me. Yeah. But I wasn't like behind in class or anything. But I was also a class clown. So I, I think in year six, I got sent out 40% of the time mm. per day, like in, in a wow. given day. My most common memory of, of year six is standing outside the classroom, looking at the wall in the corridor, waiting to, to be told off by the teacher. Um, I don't know why I was so naughty. I just... Maybe rule, that was you were always a rule breaker. I was the one trying to figure out the rules mm. and just being like, oh, what can I get away with? I was trying to figure out my place in the world. Are you still like that now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I suppose I'm a bit more uh, subtle about it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's interesting to hear because I think at school there's always an opportunity to figure out who we are. And I sometimes I think people do take it in different directions and sometimes people stay in the middle, right? Where they mm. keep safe and keep their heads down. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I wasn't like that. I really wanted validation from others at school. In in some ways, like maybe up to the age of 12, I had a lot of confidence. Mm. And then I think when everyone started going through puberty, I was like quite a late bloomer. Mm. And so my self-esteem was affected by that. And mm. so subconsciously for, for a long time, I kind of was, I would act in a certain way to try and get a reaction, mm. whether that was trying to make someone laugh, trying to make them annoyed, just something to, to get attention mm. and, and feel important. To be seen. Yeah, to mm. be seen. And so that's probably why I was so annoying. And uh, yeah, I try not to be too annoying these days. We talked a little bit earlier about um, kind of parenting and, mm. you know, growing up, you grew up in London, right? And to mm. a single mum, you, you yeah. lost your dad quite young. That's right, yeah. How did that affect you as a young man and your sort of identity, you know, in mm. this world? How did it sort of shape who you are? I think I developed a lot of empathy just because my mum has a lot of empathy and is always thinking about other people that trait was kind of instilled into me there are traits that I remember my father having which I don't really have a lot of now and it's probably because I I wasn't around him for my life and I wonder it's so difficult to know how I would have ended up if Mm. if I was uh, surrounded by a mum and a dad it's impossible to say really Mm. I miss kind of having a, a permanent male role model in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate in that 
I, uh, I, I used to play table tennis quite well. Um, and um, Quite well. Quite, yeah. <laughs> so I used to play for England. Uh, mm-hmm. I was ranked number one in... Don't in leave kind of, that out. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I thought I was going to do before music. My table tennis coach, a guy called Ellie Barati, mm. kind of acted as that that father figure for me. You must have been lean AF because that is like I was an pretty intense lean. game. I was pretty lean. You're still pretty lean. I but... mean, uh, I've, I've, I've changed slightly. In <laughs> bit of lockdown love, but yeah, so we've all love. got it. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of acted as, as that father figure and ro- male role model Amazing. to me, which, which, which was really useful. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just subconsciously to be like, okay, I'm exposed to to this man and he acts in this way. And that's interesting. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's a, a way that I can act if I want to. Just mm-hmm. having that exposure and having a deep connection with someone who's male and a bit older than you, mm-hmm. I think is really useful um, in those formative years to, to give you the, the choice mm-hmm. to, to, to take in the world in, in the way that they see the world. Mm. It is interesting. There are, there's so many parallels in, in all the men that I know who've been brought up by single mums. Mm. Sensitive, gentle, right. emotive, empathetic. Mm. Um, it can't be. It can't be a. Well, it's anecdotal, of course. Yeah, it could be an accident. It, it could be an accident of the people that I've met because maybe I'm drawn to that those type of people because I'm that type of person, sensitive, emotion, emotional, empathetic. But there is this sort of correlation between young men that I know who've been brought up by mums or you know, their mums and their sisters, mm. very very sensitive and gentle and sort of there's a softness about them. But then a lot of the time where there's more masculine, what's the word? Energy. Energy in a family, the men are a little harder, a little tougher, a little stronger in the sense of stronger as in like very unemotional. Their emotional intelligence seems very, very low. Um, And their ability to feel empathy or to connect with people in a compassionate way seems lower. Mm. And I'm so fascinated in the balance between the masculine and the feminine. Mm. And these things exist in all of us, don't they? There's kind of like these energies that that kind of flow through us. I do believe that in our sort of modern world, many men block the feminine side of themselves. They repress it, they push it down because they're afraid of it ultimately. They're afraid of being feminine or feeling feminine or looking feminine or acting mm. feminine in any way, whatever that means, whether that's how you dress, how you wear your hair, how you talk, how you walk. Mm. We're so heavily conditioned as men and women to be a certain way mm-hmm. and that if you fall anywhere in the middle you're a freak you're you're gay you're mm. you're this you're that there's all these slurs that people use and you know the power of that sort of culture mm. creates a lot of unhappiness and a yeah. lot of yeah. uncertainty for a lot of young people we do not exist in no matter what you know the hard right conservative types will tell you there are not two genders there aren't because i am myself non-binary i consider myself in the middle Mm. i don't feel very masculine and i don't feel very feminine i sit in this sort of no no man's no person's land (laughs) in the middle see it's even in our language right the sort of gender genderist anyway as you've grown obviously as a man and, and you've explored your identity you know and into your music which we'll talk about in a sec you know, there seems to be a desire to express yourself in a way that is connected with emotion and mm. and mind and and sort of thought, right? Is this a recent thing or is this something you've always had in your music where you sing and talk about important things that matter, like, you know, being kind, like being, you know, being true to yourself by mm-hmm. being, you know, Am I Less of a Man, one of mm. your recent songs. Is this a new thing or is this something you've always thought about? Well, I mean, firstly, that was well said. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is something that I've often thought about, especially with less of a man. If I spend all day singing love songs, baby And if I can't build a house with my hands 
If I go see a therapist, don't play football and I don't drink, does it make me less of a man? What if I ain't scared to show my emotions and I need a little help from my friends? If I hate being on my own and I ugly cry to Bridget Jones, does it make me less of a man? Tell me. Does it make me less of a man? If I need you, does it make me less of a man? If I reach out with my head is on the water And I need a helping hand Does it make me less of a man? Ooh, less of a man I think, like, like I said, when I was 12 or so And like, from 12 to 16, I was a really late bloomer and so when all of the other guys would have, you know, got really hairy and bigger and stronger, it took me a while to grow up in that respect. Mm. I just didn't feel like a manly man, mm. or whatever that is. Like, right. I wasn't in line with the, how, how most men were growing up. That really played on my, my self-esteem. Mm. And you my, didn't think you were manly enough? No. And, and the, the, the like, okay... The, the factors that I was thinking about were, okay, how tall am I? Mm. How strong am I? Mm. Um, how successful am I mm. with women? So coming from a very heteronormative perspective, mm. you know, how much money do I have and, and things like that. And, and that was like, like I was talking about before with being in school, that was me trying to figure out mm. my place in the world and my place as a man in the world. It just, it really kind of got me thinking. And, and I, and I, I think over the past few years, there's been a lot of discussion on gender, especially online. And, and it's really like, it's made me think. Yeah. And it's been really amazing to have a different perspective challenging the, the world's perspectives yeah. and, and, and the way that society has existed for so long. Yeah. And I found it really fascinating to, to explore that. And, and I was literally like, I told you earlier, like talking to my friend about this and, until like the early hours yeah. uh, last night, because it's, it's still something which I'm learning about and will continue to learn about, I'm sure, mm. for the rest of my life. It is fascinating. And I think there's this perception that, you know, being male or female, masculine or feminine mm. is a binary. You're one or the mm. other, full stop. People also don't know the difference between sex and gender. Mm. You're assigned sex at birth by mm. the doctor. But a lot of the time, the doctor doesn't know what's going on inside your body. And you also have intersex people yep. who have both sexual organs sometimes. And so what is their sex? Mm. It's a little bit of both. Mm. And then in the old days, um, a person's sex was assigned by the doctor and they may chop off bits of the baby yeah, yeah. without really allowing the child or the person to grow up and figure out who they are. Mm -hmm. They don't do that anymore in many countries, thankfully. It right. caused a lot of suffering and yeah. suicide and, and unhappiness. But the difference between sex and gender is so important. And I believe we need to teach our children. Well, people are trying to teach our children, but the very hard, you know, conservative right types in, in the world are very against it because they feel like what, they, what, which, what the liberal left are trying to do is erase gender. Mm. We're not trying to do that. The irony is we're trying to open it up. We're right. trying to say to people that you can be non-binary and you can mm. still be attracted to women. I've right. got friends who are non-binary and they, they are heterosexual. Sexuality and gender are not interconnected. They are separate. C can I ask you a, a question mm. on that? Because, yeah. like I said, it's st still th something I'm learning about yeah. now. So if someone identifies as non-binary yeah. and they're also heterosexual, yeah. is that their sex being attracted to someone of the opposite sex? Is that the way it's looked at? 
It's an interesting question. I would say your gender is your identity, who you see yourself as, how you express yourself, how yep. you present yourself, yep. how you think, how you feel, your emotions, mm -hmm. the way you interact with others, um, your, your place in the world. Whereas yep. your sexuality, it is that urge, that physical animality that connects you to another person sexually. It's that yep. carnal instinct that you have. And there are connections there, but generally they are pretty separate because mm -hmm. you can be a transgender person, born female, become a male and still be attracted to women. And so you become lesbian, you become gay. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you were born, you were born a woman, you become a man, but you're still attracted to women. People assume yeah. that if you're born a woman, you become a transgendered man, you'll automatically be attracted just to the opposite gender. But you might be attracted to the same gender, that your sexuality yeah. is, is a bit like something that exists within you. But it is also a spectrum. For sure. That I, it's not just one or the other, that it's, it's, it's fluid. It, yeah, I get that. And, and that, makes, that makes complete sense. Like if someone is pansexual, pansexual. Th then they're open to, to anyone. Any, right, okay. Yeah, greedy. Um, no, not really. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but you, but you just Don't come for that, me for no. that comment. <laughs> um, but you just said that someone who is non-binary can be heterosexual. They can. Or bisexual, or gay, or pansexual. When I think of the term in... in uh, in relation to someone's sexuality, say it's heterosexual, mm -hmm. that is, in my mind, saying someone of one gender is attracted to someone of the opposite gender. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. So how does that work with non-binary if you identify as somewhere in between? Or like, So it's probably you're, you're attracted to someone of the opposite sex, not gender. Okay, okay mm -hmm. so yeah, so, so yeah. It, it, it applies to sex in, yeah. in that respect. Okay. Yeah, because the body, when you think about what you're attracted to when you look at a woman, it's her body. Uh -huh. Her mind, maybe the way she moves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you met a trans woman, yeah, you'll be attracted to all the same things. Yeah. The physicality of a person, the way they speak, the way they move, the way they dress, the way they smell. Whereas gender, it's kind of irrelevant, right? What the person's gender is. Well, no, <clears throat> this is the thing. If, if someone identifies as transgender, mm -hmm. say someone is a trans woman and they're with someone who identifies as male, mm -hmm. I think they would be a bit offended if if the man said that they're gay mm -hmm. because they're like well no you're saying that i'm a man i don't identify as a man mm -hmm. so they would be straight in that respect it's interesting the so words. it doesn't so it applies to gender in that respect as opposed to sex it's really complicated because obviously the word transgender has the word gender in it yes it you know in a way it's sort of like trans sex because you are you are moving both well, not moving but you are returning to or a re it's probably a better word to say realigning you're right. realigning your sex and your gender because but the gender is the expression yep. because when you have the gender reassignment surgery you can then start to express yourself right. express your gender in the way that makes you feel who you really are so you create this realignment whereas people who are transgender are often born totally out of alignment mm -hmm. physically the way yeah. they express themselves everything and that's what causes the suffering but non-binary is a kind of catch-all term really it's not like a thing it's not like a badge Non-binary is actually not a label. <laughs> but, but then may, maybe, and, and I'd love to know what you think, wouldn't, wouldn't it be a better idea to not use terms like heterosexual and, and homosexual? Absolutely. When you introduce uh, ideas, not, uh, when, when someone identifies as uh, non-binary, mm. wouldn't it be better not to have those kind of labels which are um, related to sex, mm. mm -hmm. as, in, uh, not, as in gender sex as opposed to Action sex. Well, that's the that's the that's the action thing. sex. That's the <laughs> <laughs> wow! I never thought I'd be saying Coined. this today. <laughs> I you mean, want to have action sex? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, language is so uh, fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's evolving all the time. Over in France at the moment, in French, in the French language, there's he and she, um, mm. and there are no terms for non-binary people That's in right. between. And then the, the hard-right conservative types in France are very angry about the changing the language liberal left trying yeah, to create yeah, yeah, yeah. space yeah. for people like me in the yeah. middle with mm. pronouns and they don't want it because yeah. they're trying to maintain the purity of the language yeah it's very dangerous language to say that type of thing because what you're trying to essentially do is hold back evolution human beings are evolving mm. and changing all the time physically our society is evolving our language is evolving that's one of the beautiful things about english is that it's in polymorphic language. It's always evolving. That's it's absorbing right. yeah. new words yeah, yeah. and it's changing and adapting all the time. And to be honest, you know, English doesn't really belong to any one country. People speak it across the planet mm. and it is open to change. And I think that's why it's so widely adopted because it is so adaptable. You only really need to know very few words to be able to communicate with another person in English. Whereas like Latin languages, you need like 5,000 or something. Yeah, <laughs> not, not really. Well, but it's probably so widely adopted just because English people try to make people speak well English. imperialism obviously yeah. colonialism <laughs> played probably. a huge role in it of course but well, i mean as in the like, biggest reason it's, it's no, adopted and maintained yeah, yeah. it's also like a, a language that you know is a bridge between different peoples yeah but anyway going off on a tangent <laughs> there but you know english yeah sorry language is evolving yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the way we talk about people the way we talk about each other needs to evolve and we shouldn't hold back on it because at the end of the day it's a bit like with gay marriage mm. a lot of people are up in arms about gay marriage i'm like well if you don't like gay gay marriage don't get gay married you know <laughs> like why sort of enforce your your views your world views on minorities or other people who just want to live their lives yeah and ultimately the way and like pro, let's talk about pronouns for example when mm. you say to a person what are your pronouns yeah, what would yeah. you, how would you like me to refer to you that's mm. a very polite and compassionate thing to do but yet there are many people out there who are outraged by the idea of asking a person what their pronouns are. It's a very simple thing to do. Hello, mm. what's your name? I'm Zach. What are your pronouns? What are your pronouns? Uh, he, him. He, him. Thank you, Zach. And so I know. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. Mm. But there's a lot of people who fight that. They don't like the idea. But I think, you know, going a little deeper into this, I think there's this fear that men are losing their masculinity that the heterosexual cisgendered male is losing a grip on you know the stronghold of their identity and you understand there's like you know there's a jordan peterson types out there who mm. who are big on talking about this and mm. you know many people like him talk about how you know masculinity is being eroded men are being emasculated if my girlfriend makes more money than i do I love my mama cause she's the best If I've never had a cigarette or a single hair upon my chest Does it make me less of a man? Tell me. Do you think men are losing their masculinity and if they are is that a bad thing? I think both things are happening So I think on the one hand there are the people that you were talking about in the middle of very masculine, very feminine where they don't have to question their place in the universe. Mm -hmm. The suffering of those people, I'd say, I'd include myself in that. Mm -hmm. People who um, didn't feel like they fitted in with how most men act right. and the feeling of, oh, I'm different. That suffering, I suppose less of a man was to address that feeling. Mm -hmm. And so some attention needs to be spent on the people who don't... Fit on either side. Yeah. And... And, and just in terms of like 
femininity and masculinity in that spectrum. But then at the same time, it's a spectrum where mm. you, you also don't want to stop yourself from having things like accountability and responsibility, mm. which at the moment have been classed as masculine traits, mm. when really I, I feel like they're just good traits. Human. Yeah. Mm. There's an element of truth in, in both sides in that we should be encouraging good traits, which coincidentally have been classed as masculine traits. I don't think that traits should be classed as masculine or feminine, regardless of whether most men have acted this way historically or most women have acted this way historically. I noticed it mostly in the mental health conversation. A lot of the things that you see online are about how if you're going through a difficult time, speak up, mm. you know, and reach out for help. And, you know, what you're feeling is, is, is totally fine mm -hmm. and it's not it's not your fault there's nothing you can do about it kind of thing and sometimes that perspective is useful let's say historically that would have been seen as the the nurturing feminine energy mm -hmm. right which is I, i'm going to take care of you and and it's whatever you're feeling is okay mm -hmm. right like sometimes that is appropriate but sometimes actually the best solution to your mental health issue that that one might be experiencing mm -hmm. is responsibility, figuring things out for yourself and acquiring a level of self-esteem based on the fact that you feel as though you can trust your own mind. Like for example, my old coach, Ellie Barati, I told him I was going through a difficult time. And previously, whenever I had told someone I'm going through a difficult time, they were like, oh man, no, 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 they were like, I'm, I'm so sorry right. to hear that. Like I'm here to, to talk That's amazing. If, if you want. And I'm like, ah, oh, thank, thanks so much. And, and, and it was brilliant, but I was still messed up. Mm. And actually, this is purely anecdotal, sure. but the most useful thing for me was to hear my table tennis coach be like, mate, I'm, I'm actually tired of, of hearing you say that you're, you're fucked up at the moment. And what are you going to do to change your situation? And I'm like, why wow, man, like, why are you, why are you being like that? Like, he's, yeah. he's like, what, what do you want me to do? And, and I was like, well, I, I don't know. Like I want to, you know, I'm feeling really down and I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this and that. He's mm. like, okay, what can you do that's in your control? Mm. He, he was like, who's in control here? And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I don't know. There's just things going on. He's like, who's in control? I'm mm. like, I'm in control. I, I, I can change my circumstances here. He's like, okay, mm. fucking change it. You know, and, and that, that perspective would be something that I'm sure the Jordan Peterson and, and kind of more right-wing people would be a fan of. Mm. It's not very popular at the moment. But it's something which within the mental health discussion is a useful mm. thing to, to also factor in mm. and a tool to include when you're thinking about what is the appropriate response to someone who's going through a tough time. Mm. Previously, it was always stiff up a lip and, yeah. and just get on with and it and plow it. through, right? Mm. And there'll be many reasons as to why that maybe, maybe we were in more wartime previously and, and that was you know, the best thing that could have been done for like survival of- Stoicism. Yeah, but right now I feel like there is quite rightly so, maybe slightly an overcorrection on, it's okay what you're experiencing, I'm here to talk kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. That was where the majority of attention should have been spent. I'm very happy mm -hmm. that that is happening right now. Mm -hmm. At the same time though, we also do need to keep an eye on the fact that we don't become super reliant on external help mm -hmm. you know to, to to solve our own problems and at the moment those 
traits, i.e. self-accountability and responsibility, are deemed masculine traits. Mm. I don't think they should be classed masculine traits, but I know that when people, especially on the right, are saying we're losing the masculinity and masculinity isn't being respected in, in that way, that's what they're talking about. And in a way, they're right, because right now that's not where the majority of our attention needs to be spent. So there is an overemphasis on you know, reaching out and, and not having to handle everything yourself. And I think that's that's right as well. That That is where we need to, to be saying that it's okay to reach out for help. At the same time, we shouldn't ignore, you know, the, the other element of things. I think what, what was going on there with your coach is mentorship. That's leadership. Correct. That, that's missing a lot in our society. That's right. Young people don't have role models. They don't have enough people giving them those tough words and good advice grates on the ear as the buddha said i love that good yeah. advice grates on the ear you know people don't want to hear if i put that in a song I, i'm gonna to have to give you five uh, percent there <laughs> good advice grates on the air that's know, wonderful so, i've never heard that yeah it's so important that we don't always tell people what they want to hear yeah we need to tell people what they need to hear sometimes hmm. tough advice is, is is important and i think that it's the dynamic between two people that yeah. comes into play there yeah. you trust him yeah. trust it you trust him i trust he's him. still he's still alive right so yeah, you trust yeah. He's, him. he's one of my best friends yeah you trust him yeah and forming that rapport between two people i think that's where good friendship comes in and mentorship comes in and that was for me is essential in a young person's life and when they don't have that and they don't have a role model or a person to go to who says no one's coming for you no one's coming to pick you up. No one's coming yeah, yeah, to yeah, pick yeah. you up off the ground. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. This is your life. <laughs> no one gives a shit about it. No one gives a shit. You know, no, pick, I, no one owes you shit either. No one owes you anything. Not yeah, your yeah. family, not your parents. Yeah. You know, if you really want to make it in this world, you know, get your shit together. Yeah. That's very different from man up and, and just put yourself together. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but that's what's implied with man up. It is what's implied. But it's... It's a cop-out, though. It's a cop-out and it's not specific enough. No. It's not specific enough yeah. because it's also confusing. If, if someone's like man up and to, to you, your idea of a man is, is become stronger and eat more meat. Right. Which that, is the gender stereotypes we've created in yeah. our society. Yeah. Then that might not be useful no. for you because if you, if you want to cut down on your chances of having cancer, it might not be a good idea to no. eat so much meat. Or erectile dysfunction. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, another... And you, want, and you want kids and you could become, you know, sterile from testicular cancer oh that's okay i need to look into very that. much higher increase in men who eat red meat more many forms of male cancer damn damn so there's danger in heading in those directions in these stereotypes in which men you know this gender archetype yes as a young man you're like that's the gender archetype i need to head mm. towards because if i don't head in that direction i'm not a man i'm less of a yeah. man if you wear a dress are you less of a man no if you wear makeup are you less of a man no if you have a high-pitched voice, are you less of a man? No. If you're slightly effeminate, are you less of a man? <laughs> no. But then why does our society deem men that are like that or wear those type of pieces of fabric? Honestly, like I think it's, it's largely because we're still in, in a heteronormative mentality. Why, though? Because most people are heterosexual. Are they? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I think so. Well, historically, yes. Uh, how do we know? That's a great question again. I mean, we don't know. We, we don't. We don't. Yeah, we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. What happens when everybody eats meat? 
why do we all eat meat? Because everybody else eats meat. We all behave in a certain yeah. way because everyone else behaves in that way. There's this experiment where a young girl walks into a dentist's office yeah. and there's, lo- there's people sitting in the room and there's a beep that goes off and, she, and everybody else around her stands up and then sits down and she doesn't know what's going on. Keeps happening and everybody... I've seen this video. I've seen this, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a social experiment yeah, about yeah, how yeah. humans are primed to imitate each other. Yeah, yeah. Whether they understand it or not. And, that, and then eventually the actors in the room are then replaced with real people who yeah. come in as well. Yeah. And they all copy each other because they, don't, they just expect that's what they need yeah. to do to fall in line. And I do believe that when it comes to the way we behave, the way we present ourselves, we, we've, we do things in these sort of mass ways because everybody else does. And that's what is safe. So it's such a fun, fascinating thing. And obviously it taps into, you know, something that you're very passionate about, which obviously is mental health and how, you know, we do need to, and we've talked a bit about like preserving mental health and how important yeah. it is. You're, ambassador, you're an ambassador for Calm, Campaign right. Against Living Miserably. I'm yeah. a huge fan of the charity. I yeah, volunteered for it oh, awesome. over the years. Tell us a little bit about it and why you're a, a supporter of it. I'd always said I wanted to like try and do something for, for charity because we spend the majority of our time trying to like uh, develop things in our own lives, but at the same time, it's super important to, to give back and, and try and be useful. I think just to have that balance is, is a good thing. You ever feel a bit crap? Well, you're not alone. Everyone does at some point. But the thing people don't realise is just how true that is in us guys. Out of the 6,109 suicides in the UK in 2014, 4,623 were men. That's 76%. On average, men are three times more likely to kill themselves than women in the UK. The numbers are so great that the leading cause of death for men under 45 isn't drugs, knife crime, gun crime or traffic accidents, but suicide. Scary, huh? That's part of the problem. Most people are unaware that suicide predominantly involves men. And there's a strong social stigma surrounding the issue. It might partially be because of this stigma that men are less likely to talk about their problems and seek help in a crisis. Mental health is something which I've struggled with myself and I've struggled with anxiety and depression. I was very fortunate enough to be able to go to therapy. I learned about mindfulness. I also had friends and family around who were able to to help me through those very difficult times. But some people don't have that. You know, having someone to talk to, someone who cares and someone who... Uh, an organization that that is going to put out information about mental health and and try to help people have a better relationship with it that's a really great thing and so i I really wanted to support them i also i i mean this is the the cynical side of me i've never actually said this before but i'm aware that a, a, a proportion of any like charity funds is 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 sent towards fundraising mm-hmm. right i thought calm had the best fundraising like uh videos as well like content mm-hmm. and i was like okay if a portion has to be given to fundraising, I'd like to do it through, through Calm because I thought, you know, mm. the, the, the content that they put out as well as the general thing towards mental health that they had mm. was brilliant and also really valuable. The Campaign Against Living Miserably is a UK charity that exists to raise awareness and change attitudes towards suicide in men. They provide a free, anonymous and confidential helpline and web chat service to give support and information to men of all ages who are down or need help. They also run a website, thecalmzone.net, and a free magazine, The Calmzine, 
where men can find information, solidarity and support. So if you are feeling crap, Calm is here on 0800 58 58 58 from 5pm to midnight every day and online at thecalmzone.net. It's such an incredible charity because it really dives to the heart of what is a hidden epidemic that's going on in our society today. Suicide is the single biggest killer of men under 55, more than any single type of cancer around a rugby team of men every single day in the UK. Some almost 8,000 a year. That's a lot of people losing their lives. Why do you think men... Because of everything we just talked about. That that this gender binary that is enforced on us as children creates so much emotional suffering because men are not allowed to be emotional beings. They are not allowed to express themselves. They're not allowed to cry. They're not allowed to show emotion. They have to be strong. They have to be together. They have to be rich. They have to be this, that, and all these things. And it creates this huge weight. And a lot of men, when they reach their 30s or have kids and they're working a job and they're coming home and they're feeling the pressure of the mortgage and all these different things. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets too much and they don't have a way out because they have no support network. Mm. Women, by and large, have a huge, mostly have a big support network of friends they talk to all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Women are conditioned to and are allowed and given permission to, to cry, to break down, to mm. be emotional. They're allowed to do it. Yeah. Because, and on the, on, on the other side of that, you know, men use that against women often. Stop being a woman. Stop being emotional. Stop being like that you yeah know? And, and that's my theory that's there's obviously one yeah. aspect there's i think, I think that's reasons, that's but... one element but is, is a huge element yeah i think that also there is a real crisis of like meaning and purpose yeah uh which I, I i definitely felt in in the lockdown period uh yeah. you know having a bit more time where i wasn't busy doing stuff and and i actually had time with my thoughts i definitely i was like okay you know what is valuable and and what is meaningful mm-hmm. in this life and I feel like a, a lot of the time, you know, those kind of thoughts aren't addressed uh, no, as, as much. And, you know, even if you look at like chat shows from, I don't know, the 70s or something, they'd have someone like Bertrand Russell just like on a chat show talking <laughs> about philosophy and stuff. And, mm. you know, you would never have that now. Okay, maybe you have like Stephen Fry talking about things who I love. Complex ideas, uh, which might be more meaningful to fewer people, aren't valued uh, in terms like financially valued mm. and valuable to, to to companies we see less of of those kind of ideas being being put put forward into the world and, and i suppose podcasts are the way that you can mm. still have that but I, I i really feel as though there is a a crisis of something deeper and, and more meaningful P- people are experiencing that are. Um, at the moment b- because things are happening so fast, especially on social media. And the actually, changing so some, something I want to say um, when we were talking about mental health before was that the most popular <laughs> forms of media at the moment are, you know, social media. So like uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and there are ca- character limits and also limits on people's attention. Uh, people's attention spans are becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. And so when we're thinking about the the messages that really need to be heard right now, they are not nuanced at They're all. Yeah. And there's no space for nuance. And if I was the person creating the message, which has to be effective on Instagram or TikTok, I wouldn't have space for nuance either. Mm-hmm. So right now, I, f- I feel like that is also a big problem with the conversation around mental health is that it, it's completely unnuanced. That's probably why the people, you know, who are very on the right are getting a bit annoyed with the the kind of, lack of uh, mention of any of the values that they would 
feel are important towards mm. self-esteem as well and mental health. Yeah, there's an interesting conversation around cancel culture and mm. social media and the intersection between that and also respectful dialogue. There doesn't seem to be much of an opportunity for people to have respectful dialogue because everything is so reductionist and simplified. Yeah. There is no space for nuance. Have you ever experienced being cancelled? Have you ever any friends who've had ex experience being cancelled? And, and also, what's your opinion of it? The way people sort of, you know, someone might say something that they mm. obviously maybe later regret or maybe not. And, you know, the whole internet shuts them down, deplatforms them, kicks them out, you know, cancels them. Right. So, so I, I haven't experienced um, being cancelled. Uh, I'm trying to think if I know. I, I remember there was someone who I remember came to one of my shows and they were so animated at the show. I just remember them mm. and they became quite senior on at a magazine. I'm, I'm not going to say which one, mm. but they got cancelled uh, for something they'd said seven years prior, mm. even though they said that those thoughts didn't uh, represent them anymore. Mm. It was done right. and the, the potential profits of the magazine were harmed so much so that they simply had to get rid of that person of, of course as a place for accountability but i think there's also there also needs to be a place for forgiveness mm. and there needs to be a shift from our pers perspective right now which is that everyone needs to be perfect and needs to have always been perfect mm. I don't I don't see that as beneficial because the internet doesn't forget does it or forgive for that matter no but I, but I think to to if we're trying to think about which which traits and characteristics we want to incentivize mm. a good one would be to be learning all the time mm. and to be able to put ourselves out there to you know to, to have conversations on a public forum which mm. have the capacity to actually learn something from mm. so for example in this conversation right now i may say something which is wrong in fact I've, i'm i've definitely i would have definitely said something which is wrong or might offend someone i think a, a beautiful thing is that someone can show me where where i might be better to, to you know to have a different perspective on yeah and i might learn something right and i, I feel like the expectation to have always Knowing right. what you're supposed to know mm. is unrealistic and unhelpful, and the we can't we can't get it right all the time, right? No, no, and, and also that there'll be you know people oftentimes are, are getting cancelled for something which was the the norm. Say it's like ten years ago, and they didn't know that it wasn't the norm because no one told them it wasn't the norm then. I I, I don't think that should be something that people get cancelled for. For example, right now we're having a conversation about cancel culture. If the term cancel culture becomes offensive in 10 years time mm. i don't think either one of us should get cancelled for saying for the word cancel it. culture <laughs> because right now the term cancel culture is acceptable to mm. use in society now it's it's contextual right and i think that's often what the conversation is missing you talk about nuance on social media when yeah. you have such a small amount of space to talk about something there isn't the nuance to go into the history of the conversation or the history of the word you know, a racism and sexism, mm. you know, all these isms, they have very dark and uh, insidious histories in this country. Mm. There's a lot of really, really awful things that have happened in, in the United Kingdom or the empire. There's yeah. lots of statues across this country which are deeply entwined with, you know, racism, slavery, etc. And, you know, many people believe they should be teared down and, and or put in museums or locked away. And there's been a very hot debate between these things. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're in a very diverse culture. And I believe that there's nothing wrong with offending people. There's nothing wrong with upsetting people in your language and what you say. But I think that intent is everything. Your, your song about being kind oh, to yeah, others. I want to talk about that, actually. You know, yeah. you know, sometimes people talk about being kind and it becomes a bit of a meme. But, you know, kindness 
is the lifeblood of our humanity. That mm. is what humanity, in my view, that's what humanity is. Um, you want to talk a bit about your song, actually? So, so I, I was in LA and I'd just seen Caroline Flack that right. just passed away. And a big part of that was, uh, you know, the abuse that she was receiving online. Right. We've laughed with you, we've cried with you, but most of all, we've fallen in love with you. Caroline Flack was synonymous with ITV's hit reality show, Love Island. As its host for five series, she became one of the most popular personalities on TV. But the 40-year-old was today found dead at her home in East London. Her family's lawyer has confirmed that she took her own life. In a statement, they said, we can confirm that our Caroline passed away today, the 15th of February. We would ask that the press respect the privacy of the family at this difficult time. It really upset me because, you know, I don't know the full ins and outs of, of, of her, uh, her situation at the time, but I can't see how other people like piling in on her made their life any better. Mm. I don't think any of them, any of the people piling on thought that, you know, their words were going to end and end someone's life essentially. Right. It all I, adds up though, doesn't it? It, it does. Um, but, but it also, while that really affected me, it also made me think about how there are so many ideas floating around mm. in the world. And I think it's a good idea for us to, to be respectful mm. of, of other people's perspectives in the hope that we might learn something or we might be able to teach them something, but we will only teach them something if we're respectful of their perspective mm. and, and try and try to, you know, have them feel heard mm. and actually start a, 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 a conversation. At the same time, the song was also about how it was just a statement of intent to, mm. to treat people with kindness regardless of their ethnicity, their sexuality. And for that, I was, I was really grateful that I got the opportunity to, to put a song out that was about that. It don't bother me If you're old or young If you got lots of money Or you got next to none Where you think We all go when we die mm. It ain't on my mind If you're big or small Obviously, it's a big, it's, you know, it's a central part of your life. Tell us a little bit about the moment you realised, wow, what I'm doing, what I love, is you know, it's taking me somewhere. Like, mm. what was that big moment? Was there an, an individual moment that you remember where you were like, this is it, it's happening, <laughs> it's happening? Um, or was it a gradual thing? It, it has been a gradual thing, but there's yeah. been some really kind of standout moments. I remember the first solo track I put out was called "These Are the Days," and Mr. Jam played it on mm. uh, on One Extra BBC. Radio One Extra. Mm -hmm. What'd that feel like? Oh, I was so nervous. So, <laughs> so nervous. He played it once and he's like, when it's this nice, we play it twice. Oh, wow. And then he played it again and I was like, oh my God, this is oh. amazing. And then after he's like, when it's this nice, we play it thrice. And I was like, this guy thinks I'm good. That's so cool. It was a really affirming moment. No keys on the table. Mama says it's bad luck. Yeah. One hand on today Although I know leaving ain't easy I'm 
the, the other thing that there's been so many other like so many moments uh but i think playing the roundhouse in london um there. you were yeah. um do you have a good time? I do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, imagine if you're like, not really. It was, it was shit. Your shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was pretty cool because I grew up in in like Northwest London, mm. and I would you know go past the Roundhouse all the time, see who was playing, and I also when I was like 15, 16, they had like a charity element of of the Roundhouse, which was dedicated to young people who wanted a place to you know record and you know didn't have the means at the time and i fell under that bracket mm. and i would go to the roundhouses um uh, like writing rooms and just write songs and oh. have a place to go and i never knew that about that yeah place. it's incredible you, you pay i think it was uh 14 to 24 uh or 25 or something you just give them a pound when you go in yeah which i don't know well, it's just so token yeah, yeah a little yeah. token yeah. um literally a, a token wow. and yeah you have like an hour or two to 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 write sometimes mm -hmm. to record Amazing. to actually then do a show at that venue was really cool for me to just to as a as a symbol of my progression that was that was really cool showbiz is not for the faint-hearted it's right. uh, very challenging in many mm -hmm. many ways yeah. um you know obviously you've got a lot of fans you've got a lot of people who come to your shows how has it been sort of navigating all of that? You know, obviously you talked about your mental health and stuff, you know, that must be an interplay, but how has it been throughout that journey? Have you had people supporting you and, and what's that experience been like? Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, <laughs> it's been a roller coaster. I've learned so much and I've, I've loved so much. There's been some amazing moments. Mm. Um, there's also been some really dark times. Mm. I have loved being able to put out music and to, you know, have this idea of, I want to be a musician and then to actually like, be able to go into the studio, put out music and have people like it. That's a fantastic experience. Yeah, like I remember the first two EPs were just a, a crazy, a crazy time uh, working with Joker, Kate Trinada, Tom Mish, people that like I never thought I'd be able to, to work with and, and, and also never probably would have thought about. When I started, I wanted to do kind of like Adele, Ed Sheeran, Plan B, Paolo Nutini kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I signed my first record deal, I was exposed to electronic music. I was a fan of it, but I never, I, I didn't think that that was going to be my, my way in. Mm. And so I, I was exposed to, let's say like Joker, for example, who's an amazing guy, amazing producer, but he comes from like a dubstep background. Mm -hmm. And so just like being thrown in at the deep end and like with people that had very different life experiences to me, that was really cool. Getting to meet so many different people. And especially when, you're trying to develop like a bit more of a more of like a worldview. Music is a great tool to do that because you meet so many people. It's very difficult to kind of remain ignorant of of different people and cultures when you're mm -hmm. exposed to like. I, I worked with Shaka in the first uh, like year or two of making music. Shaka, yeah, amazing singer, <laughs> writer, and producer, and he uh, he comes from like a Caribbean background. I never really spent that many time with. Uh, with someone from that background and, and he showed me loads of music and, and food as well like uh, I remember he, he gave me ackee and saltfish obviously oh, yeah. saltfish you know <laughs> uh, back then I wasn't vegan yeah, yeah. but like uh, opened my eyes to like different mm. foods and stuff which I'd never had before and different types of music and Amazing. and like uh, different humour as well and that was really cool so I, I'm, I'm really grateful that I got to experience that in terms of like darker times and in terms of my experience I actually have never spoken about this, so mm. you're gonna get the exclusive. Um, and it's quite a big deal, actually, for me to talk about this. I've never spoken about it before. But um, 
when I was 21, I got diagnosed with something called otosclerosis, which is deafness. So I started losing oh. my hearing when I was 21. And I noticed it in my right ear first. When I would sleep on one side, I couldn't hear the alarm clock. It was a really tough time in my life. I basically lost the majority of my hearing in my right ear, which as a musician- Must've been devastating. It was, yeah, it was devastating and so difficult, especially when there's label pressure and pressure you put on yourself and music is hard enough, but then to also lose your hearing, that was fucking difficult. And it was one of the biggest reasons that I had anxiety and depression because I then developed like tinnitus. Yeah, well, it wasn't easy. Mm. Um, I ended up having an operation on my right ear. There's an amazing surgery, which essentially restores volume wow. uh, in your right ear. What they do is you're awake for the operation the whole time. Wow. They lift up your eardrum, uh, they, they cut it, lift it up, wow. drill into your stapes bone, oh, right. take it out. And then they put in a bit of like plastic or metal. Wow. Autosclerosis is, essentially, is essentially um, when your stapes bone becomes overgrown and brittle. So the mm -hmm. vibration isn't working properly. Mm -hmm. So they, they drill it out, put replace a new, it. replace it. You're awake the whole time though. Wow. I remember your, your kind of- Local uh, anesthetic, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But you, you can still feel everything. Yeah. Except like you can feel the vibrations of the drill in, your, in your head tough. and stuff. When your bone comes out, yeah. the room is spinning. Wow. Like, but completely spinning. If they didn't... Because that's your inner ear, right? Yeah. Where your body yeah. um, uh, creates balance. It's yeah. like your internal gyroscope. Yeah. And the reason you're awake is because when they put the bone back in, mm. he's then like, can you, the surgeon's like, can you hear me? And you need to be able to say yes. Sure. Um, you have to be conscious. You have to be conscious. So anyway, have the operation. There's a six week uh, recovery mm. time where they, you know, they stuff your ear with stuffing mm. stuff not the stuff you eat but, you know, <laughs> like pack it in and then when it comes out you're supposed to be you know good to go mm -hmm. and they say it only takes two weeks before you can then go back to work mm -hmm. now what they didn't tell me was going back to work means very different things to mm -hmm. you know different people i actually couldn't hear pitch for six months wow God. so if you imagine trying to write music and trying to record music mm. While not being can't able to, can't, you can't hear the notes. But with your other ear, your left ear? My left ear was, was fine right. at the time, but I actually have it in both ears. Right. So I have a, 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 an, an ear that's been operated on, mm. uh, where I've basically had to learn how to hear pitch again. Your brains had to rewire. Had to rewire. It's mm. still not as good as it was because I, I, I'd be classed as a skilled listener mm -hmm. uh, because of what I do for yeah. work and stuff. And then, yeah, just kind of dealing with that and that kind of adjustment period where things still aren't perfect. I also can't tell where noise is coming from in my right, right ear. Mm -hmm. And I also have tinnitus 20, 24 seven. Wow. So the, the process of, of dealing with that and mm -hmm. kind of coming to terms with it was very traumatic. And mm -hmm. yeah, that, there were times where I was just like, what's the point in mm -hmm. living? Because mm -hmm. I want to make music for a living and now right. I can't do that. Don't I'm have glad any. That you have <laughs> I'm glad that you're continuing, Zach. Yeah, yeah, you, me you too. You do have a gift. Like, <laughs> Thanks, man. If anyone hasn't seen Zach on stage, you you have such an incredible energy and like spirit. You're channeling a lot of the greats in your Thank in, you very in much. who you are. And I remember I when I first that. saw you, you've got such a powerful voice, and you know your passion for what you do really, really shines. You know, despite the challenges that you've had. And you know, someone said to me recently that empathy and compassion often is born out of suffering. I agree with that. And that, you know, when we suffer as people, um, our darkest times do transform many parts of us. 
um, and being an artist and you know, people talk about this all the time that some of the greatest artists in the world have had the most terrible most challenging things in their lives mm. um, do you ever see your you know what is an illness do you ever see this as a sort of source of your strength at all do you definitely yeah. I think from a mental health point of view yeah. yes because mm. the fact that I stuck around yeah, sure. shall we say and learned about mindfulness and and spoke so openly about that experience it meant that I in a way I'm like okay if I got over that mm -hmm. then I can get over anything one thing I also want to say on that is that my left ear is now also deteriorating mm -hmm. and I don't want to have the operation because there is that kind of risk there's a risk that you lose your hearing entirely mm -hmm. but there's also the process of then having to readjust and learning pitch and it might not ever come back mm. even though I'd be able to hear volume so I actually wear a hearing aid mm. and I started wearing it more in the past like year or so on the mental health thing like thinking about that that stigma mm. as well of, of wearing a hearing aid has been something that I've been coming to terms with in terms of my own confidence mm. and and really I, I think it's it's actually just been so useful in the same way that if someone wears glasses you wouldn't think they're weird and I, no. I'd like I'd like for us to have a bit of that when it comes to hearing aid right. stuff because it's been so useful for me and it means that I'm able to have you know conversations and mm. and make music without not you know asking people to repeat everything quite nice. that's the thing about technology is that mm. you know many people don't see our technology as an extension of us we carry our mobile phones around us with us almost with an incessant obsession but they are an extension of they may sort of be external to our bodies but the microphone that we're talking into yeah. the earphones that we're using the way we communicate over the internet you know these are all extensions of us as people mm. um and you know technology can really like give us a new lease of life can't it and you know 100 you know you know hearing aids cochlear implants would you ever be able to have a cochlear implant no so th that's my, my cochlear implant so, so my cochlea yeah. um, is fine. Right. It's, it's, so it's a diff totally different, different part of the different ear. Different part of the ear. Right. I always saw them as like a bionic ear, those things. I thought, oh, cool. Is that <laughs> look? Yeah, I, I think that the good thing is that, you know, if I ever didn't want to make music anymore and I just mm. appreciated having volume, yeah. I could have the operation. Right. And I can literally wait until the inevitable thing, mm. which my, I will lose all hearing in my left ear, wow. guaranteed, pretty wow. much. And I can wait until the moment I lose everything mm. before then getting the operation. But in the meantime, I just want a hearing aid so I can... To maintain. Maintain and, yeah. and, and I'm okay with it. What, what keeps you going? Because obviously this is a lot for someone, <laughs> you know, your age to have yeah. to deal with. Yeah. You're um, a young man and like, you know, there's a lot of pressure on your shoulders. Like, how do you keep your shit together? As your, my shit as, together. Your, uh, as your mentor said to you. <laughs> Honestly, I think making music, you know, feeling as though I'm, I'm making good music and, and like when people... DM me and they're mm. like, oh, this, this song helped me in this time in my life and this yeah. one helped me. Like, that means so much. And it's like, okay, like, I am doing something good. And that makes me feel really good about myself. The other thing is when you experience something going wrong in your life, and like I say, it's like a health thing, and you talk to people about it, you realize other people have things that they're dealing with and they just don't talk. Like, no. and you wouldn't know. Right. Like, most people have experienced something where you're like, fucking hell, that is mm. ridiculous. Mm. But you're just getting on with things. And mm. I, I think the thing that I was really aware of throughout the whole process was how, how human beings are able to adapt, you know, to the most fucked up shit. Yeah. And, and when they can adapt and they ride the storm, it does make them stronger. Downstairs, we were talking about viruses mm -hmm. and how, you know, they essentially, you know, 
if people can survive through a virus, mm -hmm. they're then stronger. Right. I think the most productive perspective for me to have on it is that it's a, a test. Mm -hmm. And I, I like thinking about yeah. things in terms of competition, <laughs> being a table tennis player, it makes sense to me. I'm like, okay, right now I've been given this, you know, this test, mm -hmm. which I love the challenge of, of overcoming and I have overcome it. My first album was made while I couldn't hear pitch in the same way I could mm -hmm. before. And I made some of the best music I think I've ever made in my life. And I love that challenge. I almost think of it as like Paralympics for music, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, okay, I might not be able to be exactly as I, as I was previously, but I can still be really fucking productive and, mm -hmm. and, and effective in the things that I, I put my mind to. Okay, maybe I, I would have decreased in terms of hearing, but I've increased in terms of compassion and mm -hmm. mental health and... And so there's some amazing opportunities which, which have come from it. It's very transformative. Moving on to a bit more into, into your music, one of mm. my favorite songs of yours, which is just a bit of fun, I know, which is the one about vegan. being vegan. <laughs> the yeah. girl that you meet pretended to be vegan. <laughs> Obviously, you say on stage, it's not a true story. It's not a true story. But yeah. um, well, you know, where did the idea from that come from? Because it's quite, it's quite a comedic song. But yeah. you know, people love it because it's so funny and silly. But it's, it's, there's a sort of, you know, talking about identity, there's, mm. a, there's a kind of message in that, right? We're about identity and about pretending to be something that you're not <laughs> yeah. just to get what you want. <laughs> I never thought I'd be analysing the song in a deep way. Yeah, I, I suppose so. The song came about from, from me literally just sitting on a train thinking about just stupid song what ideas. <clears throat> yeah, what if you wrote a song about how uh, you, you know, you'd been hard done by by a girl saying that she was vegan just to get with you? Mm -hmm. It's quite a silly song. Um, this is not a situation that's happened to me. It's just something that I thought up on the train. And I was like, imagine if you wrote a song about that. Fuck it, let's write a song about that. It was one of them ones. Um, and it's called Vegan. <laughs> I need to teach you a bit first, right? So, mm, it goes. All right. So sing it with me now, so two, three, uh. and again. She said she was animal friendly. She could have never heard a fly. So when I caught her in Wendy's. I couldn't quite believe my eyes She was chomping on a burger bigger than her head Now I'll never trust a word she ever said And I've got a question Was everything we had a lie? All my friends were trying to warn me But I didn't see the signs Looking back it was so obvious They say that love is blind And I guess I was too gullible Cause now it's plain to see She said she was vegan Vegan, vegan Just to get with me it just made me laugh and so I remember bringing it into the studio and I was like guys I want to write about this today and at first I thought I was joking and then they were like I was like no no no, no. this is the shit mm. this is what we're going to write about and they were down it's so hard to write about veganism and music because mm. without it sounding cheesy yeah, and preachy or preachy yeah, yeah. or 
evangelical. There's yeah. a lot of people that send us their music all the time, and it, and you know, obviously they're beautiful songs, but a lot of the time they they sound like something you sing in church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like you've really captured the essence of your view of it, right? Mm. Which is about like just accepting yourself and you know, this is who I am and yeah, you know yeah. if you're going to pretend to be somebody else then <laughs> fuck off <laughs> I mean I, I wouldn't even go that deep with it T- to me it was just like it's a funny song idea but it has the, impact though. but that's, but, the, but thing, that's like, the thing the, the most imp- I think yeah. the most effective there, there's many ways of getting a message across yeah. I think humour and that's comedy saying, is yeah. a really effective way of doing that where just I'm saying, without yeah, realizing yeah. it, singing about something yeah. as important as veganism <laughs> in such a funny, yeah. fun way, yeah. you get to talk about it on stage in yeah. front of hundreds of people. And it doesn't piss anyone off. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is genius. <laughs> so right. thank you for that. <laughs> now I got bad paranoia. Questions running through my head. Like when she said it was soya. Was it really milk instead? When she had a margarita trying to be discreet She said it was a drink but I saw the receipt Now I wanna know ya How many lies was I fed? All my friends were trying to warn me But I didn't see the signs Looking back it was so obvious They say that love is blind And I guess I was too gullible Cause now it's plain to see She said she was vegan, vegan just to get with me Why did she lie? Oh why, oh why Did I believe her? Why did she lie? Oh why, oh why Think I better leave her Why did she lie? Oh why, oh why Did I believe her? Why did she lie? Oh why, oh why Think I better leave her All my friends were trying to warn me But I didn't see the signs Looking back it was so obvious They say the love is blind And I guess I was too gullible Cause now it's plain to see She said she was vegan, vegan, vegan Just to get with me Just to get from me Thank you for uh, also like sharing it and uh, and yeah being no, a platform for I, that. I'm, that I'm awesome. a big Thank fan you. of, of <laughs> my pleasure. I'm a big fan of using comedy to talk about serious things because mm. it's disarming. Yes. Life is hard, right? Yeah. It's We're also all, really funny. It is also funny. There's some silly things that go on, but we've got to laugh sometimes because if we don't laugh, we're going to just end up crying all the time. Yeah. Right. We're going to be depressed and miserable. Life on earth is yeah. not easy for, yeah. no, for none of us. You know, obviously some are more privileged than others, of course. But ultimately, you know, we do need to use, we need do need to tap into joy to be able to um, get it, get through things. Yeah. Um, and that joy can be found even in the darkest t- times, right? Definitely. Especially in the darkest times. Yeah. A wise man once said, yeah. man, I've got to laugh before I cry. <laughs> that was my song. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Sorry, I had to do it. Had no, to do but it. I mean, we, we have to, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're not out of it yet, but we're living through a global pandemic. So if you're listening yep. to this in the future, you know, we're still in it. Yeah. A lot of people are taking life for granted. They think they're untouchable. Yeah. Um, and they don't realize that 
you know, this virus that exists in our society, that virus or any other virus or a disease, it's mm. never going to come for me. I'll mm. never get cancer. I'll never have problems with my body. I'm untouchable, especially younger people. They feel invincible. But as you know, as we've talked about, it's something that you've had to experience and, you know, it, you're still here. Thank goodness. <laughs> Um, making your incredible music. So thank you for sticking around, Zach. No, thanks for uh, saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously the future is bright for you. you I know, hope so. You've, you've had some wonderful experiences. You know, I've been to you know, a few of your shows and I see how people respond to you. What does your, the future look like for you? Have you got any exciting projects that you can talk about? Well. Um, what's, what's on the horizon? So I have a song coming out called Good Times. Mm-hmm. It's a cover of the Sheik song, Good mm-hmm. Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, featuring Sheku Kanemason, okay, um, who's a, a good friend of mine. I wanted to sing it in a a, a kind of more slow, heartfelt way, as mm. opposed to like the celebration song that it is. Mm. And that was kind of to kind of think about the lyrics in a different way. Uh, Happy days are here again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the time is right for making friends. Like it really feels like. Hopefully, you know, we keep getting pulled back into lockdowns and things, but hopefully, we're coming out of that situation now and it feels like the good times are here again so sounds like something we need <laughs> yeah yeah i like putting out positive messages uh, because there's a there's a lot of doom and gloom out there mm. so it's, it's it's cool to put out the opposite of that i'll also I'm, I'm also like pretty much finished my album my second album i'm working on the production at the moment don't know dates for the <laughs> album but I, there's like four songs which we're which are basically ready to go, which will be released one after the other, which mm-hmm. is a really cool position to be in. Um, previously, I've always done things like very like frantically like, oh, okay, this one, and then, okay, can we do this one? And mm-hmm. now we're actually getting a bit of a plan together. I also have an amazing team. I got new management a few months ago, and I've I really loved them a lot. I think they're just so great at what they do, and I'm close to them very like individually. But basically, most of the time, you either work with one manager and that'd be kind of like a boutique kind of situation mm-hmm. or you are with a management company and the, the pro of a management company is there's you know lots of people so more more time wide in the net yeah but mm. they don't really care as much about mm. you mm-hmm. and i was very fortunate in that i was like okay i need maybe more people but I also don't want to go to a management company mm. because you just kind of like get left behind. And so right, lost in the mire, right? So I've got three managers now. Wow. And I like them all mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. and they're all brilliant, but they're all completely different mm. and they didn't know each other. Mm. And now they all like each other as well. Mm. And I've almost kind of got a management company that I'm working with of individuals. Mm. So that's really exciting. Having like a new team has kind of given me a lot more energy mm. and like I feel very positive from that kind of new energy and that's something I'm really grateful for at the moment also I'm going on tour with Paloma Faith oh, wow. uh, in Paloma. June yeah me too she's you awesome didn't, didn't you write a song for her I did yeah uh, we did a song called I'll, I'll Be Gentle mm-hmm. uh, which uh, was featuring John Legend as well which what was quite she cool. like to work with amazing she's super creative mm. and such a powerful voice she's such a magical being yeah also the thing i loved about working with her was before we actually went into the studio she sent me an email saying i really want to talk about this mm. and she sent me like a list of ideas she'd been thinking of and i was just like okay this woman is a a real professional and a real artist mm. and that really informed the way that I thought about writing sessions to actually go into the room with intention. Mm. I learned to be prepared. Yeah, I learned yeah. from her. And also 
I'm supposed to be going on a European tour in April. I've been told that we can't announce the European side of it, but I can announce Coco at the end of April uh, will be the London show. So that's going to be announced. um, It might have already been announced by the time this comes out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but for COVID reasons, Mm -hmm. we're not allowed to announce any of the European dates, even though they're all planned, Mm -hmm. signed off. We got the venue, we got the band, Right. but I can't announce it. So I'm announcing it right now, but yeah, I'm not you really. You first, people. Um, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I'm very excited about that. Well, coming to the end now, I always like to ask my guest this final question. Mm. Zach, if you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have sex Obviously, with it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you're not going to eat or do anything else with a pig because you're a very compassionate young man and a vegan. If you could take one vegan dish, one music album, yeah. and one book on your desert island, what would you take with you? Okay. A vegan dish would be um, Brett Cobley, AKA Epi Vegans, uh, Mushroom Tagliatelle. Very nice. Amazing book, by the way, he's got out called uh, What Vegans Eat. A little plug for you there. <laughs> uh, very good friend of mine, used to live with him. <laughs> so the music album that I would take with me on this desert island is World Psychedelic Classics number four, Nobody Can Live Forever, colon, the existential soul of Tim Meyer. Tim Meyer is the absolute godfather of Brazilian funk and soul. I love how expertly delivered that was. Thank you. I've, I've practiced this a lot. <laughs> For those who are listening, I won't tell you he doesn't have his mobile phone in front of him. <laughs> yeah, I had, to, I had to look up the exact name. And your book, Zach, what would you take? My book. Ooh. To be honest, I'm not really a fan of reading a book again and again and again, mm. again, again, again. But a book that I really liked it's Shantaram. I love that book so much. Um, it's got so much heart and soul in it. And I've been lucky enough to spend the last three Christmases uh, with my mum in India. Mm. Um, and so I fully like really appreciate his experience and mm. always think about that book when I'm when I'm there. Amazing. Mr. Zach Abel, thank you for joining us on the PBN podcast. What thank a pleasure to me. get a little window into your life and your history. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. I've been Robbie Lockie, your host, and this is the PBN Podcast. We'll be back next week with more veganism, food, fashion, animals, and everything in between.